Well, hey church, it is fantastic to be back with you this week and able to share the word. And we are going to kick off exactly where we left off last week, looking at what it means to follow in the storm. And we're in this hashtag follow campaign, looking at what it means to practice, to live out, to practically live being a Jesus follower in the 21st century. So if you're watching live, why don't you jump in the comments, let me know you're ready, you got your notebook and your notepad and your Bible. And if you're watching back on playback, you are so welcome too. We're gonna to kick off, as I said, exactly where I left off last week. So I'd encourage you to get your Bibles out, flip over or swipe over, depending if you've got a hardback uh, copy or an iPad or a device. We're gonna to go to Matthew 14 and read from Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 men, let alone the women and children, probably 15,000 people. The disciples have packed up the 12 basketfuls of bread left over, jumped in a boat, and Jesus sends them across to the other side. This is what's happening contextually as we pick up this story. So immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from land and it was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. They were in a storm. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were still in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Wow. Well, as I said last week, there is so much in that account we can pull out. You know what? The reason we read these scriptures is because they inform us and they inspire us to what it means to be a Jesus follower. But I want to start this week's message by saying these stories we read in the gospel don't just serve to inspire us. They don't just serve to see, look what Jesus did. Let me tell you, these stories, these accounts, these historical situations serve as an invitation to what Jesus can do. Let me say that again. The gospel accounts, as we read through the New Testament, we see Jesus, we see the early church. They don't just serve to inspire us. They serve as an invitation. It's not just about what Jesus did. It's about what Jesus does and can do. All it takes for us, I believe, is to be willing to give back the RSVP and say to Jesus, you know what, Lord, I am in. 
Last week we looked, didn't we, at what it means to have sustenance in the storm, that so often as we look back through our lives and we recount and we recall with thanksgiving the blessings that Jesus has done before, we can pull that memory into our future and know that Jesus wants the best for us in the midst of the storm. We looked at number two, Jesus intercedes for us in the storm. I gave that picture of Jesus standing on the edge of the mountainside, looking down at the boat, already a considerable distance from land, being buffeted by the waves praying for the disciples tells us in the scripture doesn't it that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us and lastly we looked at not squandering this opportunity we have in the midst of the storm in the midst of coronavirus political mistrust and disunity so much cracking off in the world at the minute but you know what it is not a time to put our head between our legs and hope to weather the storm to go back to what was it's a time where we step forward we step out with innovative thinking and walk into what Jesus has for us so this morning I want to start by number one telling us as the church we cannot in this season in the storm lockdown happening not able to gather not able to meet how we once did do not be spectators it doesn't escape my attention that as this boat is being buffeted by the waves and the storm and Peter stands up daringly when he sees Jesus and says Jesus if it really is you call me out onto the waves with you it doesn't escape me that there are 11 other disciples in the boat And this boat for me serves as such a metaphorical picture of the church. Twelve disciples in the boat. There's an unprecedented crisis, a major storm happening, but only one person sees an opportunity in it. Let me tell you first and foremostly, every major crisis will release unprecedented opportunities. Every major crisis in our world, in your life, will release unprecedented opportunities if you can think innovatively enough to see them. Eleven disciples sat there cowering in fear, but as soon as Peter locks eyes with Jesus, he knows that this is a moment of opportunity. In the midst of coronavirus, friends, in the midst of political disunity and so much civil unrest, church, this is the moment where we can't be cowering, thinking, you know what, Jesus is going to come to the boat and save us. When we can lock eyes with Jesus, we can see that this moment there's an opportunity that is presenting itself. We have a brand new situation now where we can walk into something brand new. I took a phone call earlier this morning of a member of our church who had had this vision and and he said this verse just kept coming to me Isaiah 43 18 to 19 we talked on it a few months ago didn't we that God is doing a new thing let's not be spectators church of the new thing let's not be like the 11 disciples who completely missed an opportunity where one person did let me tell you, when you become a Jesus follower, you are not called to be a bench warmer. You are not called to be a substitute. Now, our previous pastor here, Pastor Alan West, is a Lutonian legend. He captained our football club here in Luton for many years. He still talks about so fondly about the amazing things he did for, for club and for country. When he moved down out of the north to this town in Luton, 
decades ago now and he had a contract, he had a salary, he had an opportunity to be a player for Luton Town Football Club. Let me tell you, although he had the salary, although he was in and around the team, he would not have been content with sitting week in, week out on the bench. He might have had the crest on his chest, he might have been able to pull on the Lutonian jersey, he might have been able to be around the management and the team and be at Kenilworth Road in the ground, but he would have been so frustrated if week after week he was just sat on the substitute bench. And do you know what? The way we have done church, probably for centuries now, has pointed to this substitute mentality because we have made our gathered time, our service, the pinnacle of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. The gathered community, the gathered moment, the service is so, so important in the Christian life and in the Christian walk. But it is not the point of it. You see, the point of our faith will always unashamedly, unequivocally be Jesus. We have to keep our eyes on him all the time. It's not about great worship teams or brilliant buildings or even great preaching uh, or guest speakers or anything like that. It's always about the hope that Jesus gives us, the hope to not only a better future later, but a better life right now. And we have sort of, I think in the Western church, misjudged this a little bit because we've put all of our emphasis on the surface. As I've said, every major storm presents unprecedented opportunities. And what this latest storm of coronavirus has done, not only for our country, but globally, has taken the emphasis of church off of the service. And what we see in the service here at LCF, maybe 400 people weekly come on a Sunday and they sit and they listen to uh, great preaching and we have this amazing corporate time of worship But you know what? It's just an hour, an hour and a half in a much longer week. It is a time to get encouraged and nourished, but it's not the point. You see, coming to the service, if we go back to that football analogy, is a lot like going to a training ground, okay? We work things out, we talk strategy, we talk theory, we talk practicalities, but it is not game day. You see, game day is Monday through Saturday and the rest of your Sunday when you're not in the building. And so often when we come to church, we look at one or two gifts of people in the church, a preacher or a worship team, someone leading the service. But you know what? When I read my Bible, it tells me that all of the saints, each and every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, from every social economic background, is gifted purposefully and uniquely to extend the kingdom of God. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12 and that amazing picture of the body, hands and feet and legs and arms and mouths and ears and eyes and so often we put emphasis on the mouth the preaching and the singing but you know what there's far more to a body than a mouth this unprecedented moment of a storm gives us unprecedented opportunity to get out of the training ground and go and play the match wherever you are watching from you are uniquely and purposely positioned to extend the kingdom of God Now, you may not know you have a gift, but let me tell you that there's something in you that is uniquely being placed by the Father in heaven, empowered by the Holy Spirit within you, if you are a Jesus follower, to extend the kingdom of God. So although we're in a storm, let's not hibernate. Let's reawaken and rediscover and maybe discover for the first time the things that Jesus has put in each and every one of us. Uh, You know what? Being a Jesus follower... 
isn't a theoretical thing. It's not something, uh, an exercise in learning things and learning verses. It is a practical way of, of living. The tagline of our campaign, practicing the way of Jesus, says it all. Let's not boil down our Christian faith to just a gathered service, to explaining, to chewing over theory. Let's make sure we are practically living it. You know, just a few weeks ago, we were doing a church-wide fasting and prayer moment for our men. For three weeks, we, we took moments of fasting and prayer in little groups. And, and in my group, we walked through a 30-day reading of the book of Acts and each and every day we would read a chapter and we would discuss it in a WhatsApp group and what became really apparent in the first few days of reading Acts uh, from all of the group that were saying as we read Acts there's something in us that is just awakening why are we not seeing what is happening in the early church surely the same spirit that was given to Peter and John and the disciples in the early church doing acts of amazing things you know seeing healings and miracles to the power of Jesus why are we not seeing that now? And you know what? We look at the book of Acts as being a radical Christianity, what it means to radically walk in the presence of Jesus. But I was reminded reading the book of Acts that this wasn't radical to Peter, to James and John and to Thaddeus and all the other disciples there. This was just normal. And I had this phrase drop in my spirit as I was reading through the chapters of Acts, that the book of Acts wasn't called the facts of the apostles, it was called the Acts of the apostles. It wasn't called the facts of the apostles, what they knew about, it was called the acts of the apostles. And let me tell you church, we are not called to be spectators, we are called to do acts of the apostles still today. We are not called to learn facts from the apostles. So number one, let's not be spectators in this season. Let's be praying and asking God what he has birthed within each and every one of us to be able to extend the kingdom of God. And that might not be from a platform. It might not be on YouTube. It might be just relationally in one-to-one -one conversation. It might be acts of service or generosity. It might be leading. It might be serving. But let me tell you, there is something in you that God wants to bring out to extend his kingdom in our world. We can absolutely not have a next person mentality. I said that you are uniquely and purposefully placed where you are. And so often the excuse in church, when we sat on a Sunday morning and we're getting inspired and, uh, and maybe it's a guest preacher who just seems to be speaking so pointly in, into our situation, inspiring an intention to action within us that we need to go out and do it. But, you know, an hour after that service fades off, we, we lose that edge and we think, well, you know, I could do that, but actually somebody else will do it better. But you know what? So often when we think someone else will do it better, and maybe even if we have a name for that someone, so often that someone is thinking that someone else will do it better. It is the danger of a next person mentality. No one is uniquely positioned as you are in your world, in your family, in your friendship groups, in your colleague circles, in the network you have. You could possibly be the only preacher, whether that's by word or deed, that you're presence of people your circle of friends will ever ever know so why do we be content with being spectators like the other 11 disciples uh, we see the one maverick step out and do something miraculous and we applaud him but actually so often there's that little tinge of doubt within us that if peter can do it 
if John can do it, if Roy can do it, if, if Raymond can do it, why can't I? Well, no, 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 next person mentality, let's just leave them to it. Well, why do we think that? And I think most of the time, the reason we have a next person mentality is because we fear our own inadequacy. You see, every time Jesus gives us an opportunity to step out, there will always unquestionably be fear. Whether that's a, a fear within you that's so huge and obvious, or maybe it's just a little niggle of doubt. There'll be moments of fear. And let me tell you, fear will always rob you of godly situations in your life. When Jesus is giving you an invitation to step out, just one step, the fear will creep in and tell you, well, actually, that's dangerous to do because you are walking into the unknown. When you follow someone like Jesus, you will always be called to walk into the unknown. It was a few years ago now, I'd just been married, so we're talking eight or so years ago, and, and Becky is a bit of an adrenaline junkie sometimes. She loves like theme parks and roller coasters, and, and she was trying to talk me into going to Drayton Manor for the day with some friends and my brothers. Now, there's two things that I am definitely afraid of in the world. Number one is needles. Let's not talk about needles or, or go there. Just thinking about them makes me feel queasy. But number two is heights. I mean, even walking up the stairs, I get dizzy. I'm unashamed to say it now, but I am absolutely terrified of heights. I just don't like them. So the thought of being propelled at sometimes 60 or 70 miles per hour through the air in a cart that rattles, strapped in by a thin strip of metal, isn't always the most appealing to me. But you know what? I'm newly married and I want to please my wife. So I get my, my debit card out. I book the tickets, 40 or 50 pound between them. And we go to Drayton Manor. But however, I have a get out. Because I've been to theme parks before many, many times with my friends, with my family. Uh, you know, friendship groups, school trips, always done it. But I have a really unique role historically at theme parks. I, what you would probably call a bagman, okay? You've seen these guys and these girls at the theme parks. Everyone's off living their adrenaline-filled junkie life, okay? Screams of laughter and cheer and smiles. And then there's one miserable person standing just off from every single queue, arm out with six or seven coats and bags on. Now, I was joyous in this role. I've always done it. I will go to the theme park because people want my presence there out of relationship. I respect that. But you will not get me on a roller coaster. I'll be the bag person. However, when you're newly married and you're with your brothers and your friends, you want to look the man. So Becky cajoled and cajoled and, and my friends took the mick and said, look, come on, just go on one roller coaster, just one. And so uh, not knowing really what I was doing, as I said, I'm not a roller coaster fanatic. I didn't really know the roller coasters. We lined up for this roller coaster at Drayton Manor. And I soon began to regret my decision. Not because any bags or anything had gone missing, they were all safe, okay? We had a new bag person who was standing in for my uh, very important role at the time. But we were in a queue that was literally in a cage, okay? And this queue was so big that people were pushing against each other. It was hot, it was sweaty, it was the middle of summer. Everything smelt. It was like a really hot, bad church service. You were just crammed in, okay? But you're literally in a cage. And we are in this queue for over an hour. So I look around, even if I wanted to escape now, I cannot escape. I can't get through the mass of bodies, okay? It's like 
Acts 2, there were people everywhere just pushed in, crammed in. But as I'm stood in that queue for an hour and then an hour and a half, the ride breaks down, not once, not twice, but three times. People are literally staying, uh, hanging for three or four minutes midair, really high up after being propelled 70, 80 miles per hour through open space. I am absolutely wetting myself. I'm sweating, I'm nervous, but there is no way out. And do you know what? I man up and I push through and Becky's laughing and happy and can't wait to get on this ride. I get on the ride, I strap in and for the next two minutes, I am absolutely exhilarated. Who would have thought it? Me, massive wimp when it comes to height, speed, anything that involves adrenaline, usually I'm the furthest from it. But as I am being hurtled through open space on this ride, my fear absolutely dissipates to be taken over with adrenaline and endorphins, excitement and happiness. And ever since, I've absolutely loved going on roller coasters. Do you know what? I had never been on a roller coaster before. I saw it. I saw an opportunity, but way before I could experience it, I backed off. Do you know what? When fear strikes you after an opportunity presents itself in the life of faith, you must push through it because your fear in a moment can turn from crippling anxiety to absolute exuberant, excellent endorphins and excitement. It is all about perspective. When Jesus is in the mix, if you can keep your eyes on Jesus when you are fearful and afraid and down and low and not sure what is next in the midst of the storm, let me tell you, your fear will always disappear in his presence. It's a perspective issue. And there's an old adage that goes around church circles. You may have heard it. It's, a, it's an acronym of fear. Fear stands for flee everything and run. With a slightly different perspective though, fear could stand for face everything and rise. Let me tell you, a minor change in your mentality can cause a major change in your reality. Say that one more time. A minor tweak or a change in your mentality can cause a major change in your reality. Let me read one of my favourite verses to you in Colossians 3 verses 1 to 2. Since then, or this can be uh, translated because then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. What this is telling us is when you become a follower of Jesus, stop relying on your own perspective. Stop relying on your own limitations. Stop relying on what you perceive to be a possibility or an impossibility. Start to look through the lens and through the mind of Christ, our saviour, the person we are called to follow. You see, if you want to get somewhere you've never been before, you have to follow someone who's already been there. It's a perspective thing. When you can follow someone who's been somewhere, they walk in confidence and you can walk confidently in their wake. If you are meandering trying to find something you have never been to or never uh, uh, experienced yourself, it is such a different and difficult thing to do. If we can set our minds on the things above, if we can look from a higher perspective, again, I think of Jesus on the mountaintop, the disciples are in the midst of the storm, Jesus is looking down on the storm. It's a perspective thing. No longer do we flee everything and run. Now we can face everything and rise. 
Really, really famously, there was a missionary called Brother Andrew who you may have heard of. During the communist regime in Eastern Europe, Brother Andrew would sneak stacks and stacks of Bibles into the hardest, most difficult places to reach. He's faced prison and persecution. He's been threatened. Even today, I think he's in his 80s or 90s, he's still uh, sort of perpetrating and getting into places where the gospel is so difficult to reach. And once in a press interview with loads of Christians, uh, a reporter stood up and asked Brother Andrew, Brother Andrew, where is the most difficult and scary place you, were, you have ever, ever been in your life? And Brother Andrew took a moment of, of pause and reflection. And he looked at the reporter and he said, the scariest place I have ever been is outside of the will of God. Wow, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. The scariest place I've ever been isn't the heartland of Russia during communist Russia, isn't the most difficult place of Eastern Europe, isn't the most difficult, most hostile place in the Middle East. It is outside the will of God. Do you know what? When God calls you into something and you experience fear, let me tell you, God is your safety net. The boat doesn't need to be. You see, the boat feels safe in the storm. It's, it's familiar. It's what we know. It's what we've always done. Where We want to get from one side of the lake to the other. We get in a boat. But when you throw Jesus in the mix, all possibilities and all things we've done before have to go out of the window. You see, your safety net can strangle your purpose if you hold on to it when Jesus is in the mix. If you are in a storm, we need to keep our eyes and our focus on who can weather the storm, Jesus himself. And this sounds so simplistic, doesn't it? Of course, the preacher's going to say, when you're facing a difficult season, keep your eyes on Jesus, stay focused on Jesus. It's so easy to say, it's so easy to do. Well, actually, it's the most difficult thing to do. You see, as Peter took that one step out of the known into the unknown, it says for a moment he began to walk on water as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But then he began to see the wind. He began to see the waves. He began to see the storm. He broke his gaze and looked at what was happening around him. And it says he began to sink. It is so difficult sometimes in the storm, friends, to keep your eyes on Jesus. Whether you feel like it or not, focus your eyes on the prize. Focus your eyes on the saviour who can weather the storm. So the difference of being an innovator and working in innovation and hibernation is literally in this story we see one step. I mean, it's a pretty big step out of the boat onto the waves. But let me tell you, even when you waver in the storm, Jesus never will. So I want to ask you to look at your own life and your own situation at the minute. Where can you take a step into the unknown? Maybe you're crippled with fear. It might be a big overarching fear. It might be a little niggle of doubt. But where is fear holding you back where faith is calling you forward? Where is something telling you to flee everything can run? Where really with a minor adjustment in your mind and in your focus, something major can happen in your reality where you are now facing everything and rising. You see, if we always do what we've always done, we will always get what we've always got. If you always just get in the boat and expect to get to the other side, that's all that will ever happen. But when we do this in our culture and in our world, if we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got. That is fine if nothing ever changes, but things are changing rapidly. Everything is changing constantly. 
culture uh, 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 and politics and the world and society is evolving, it's shifting, it's changing. Jesus Christ remains the same yesterday, today and forever. The mission has never changed, friends, but the method has got to be so fluid. We can't meet in our buildings. We can't do our gathered service. But what is the opportunity we are seeing now in this moment where we are able to put out content online, we can connect with people, but it goes so much deeper than that. What does it mean to to be the church, to pick up a phone, to arrange a socially distant walk, to work within the rules, to see the kingdom of God extend? Let me tell you, church, we are at an unprecedented time and unprecedented opportunities await us. If we always do what we've always done, we will always get what we've always got. Jesus is calling us to a new thing a brand new thing, an exciting thing, an innovating thing. So I would implore you this week to remember not to be a substitute. You are called into the game. There's a position for you on the field. Don't be content with wearing a crest on your chest, whether that's Luton Town Football Club, whether it's Christian, whatever you want to call it. Don't be content and sitting on the bench waiting to get your paycheck, your reward, whatever that looks like in the Christian life for you. You were called onto the fields for purpose, uniquely positioned and placed. Remember, as you get up off the bench and walk onto the field, there will always be fear. This is absolutely natural. But if we can just change something in our mindset, in our fellowship, in our discipleship, where we realise that we're not called to learn facts from the apostles, we are still called to acts of the apostles, we can really make a difference in our world, in our circumstances, in our families, in our friendship groups, in our workplaces. So let's hold on to this hope we have, the Bible tells us, as we progress and we move forward in our day to day. Remember, we are kingdom carriers. We carry a hope that the world desperately needs. We can walk into situation with kingdom mindset and change things for the better. We're going to finish in just a moment with a worship song. And as ever, I would implore you and encourage you to stand up in your living room, your kitchen, your dining room, your bedroom, wherever you are, and posture your heart in a place of worship remembering that worship isn't circumstantial it is about what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives let's be amazing followers in the storm let's not be content to sit in the boat like the 11 let's be content and dream to step out like Peter on the waves